Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. The man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is, this, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Good morning, everybody. Welcome, so glad you're here, particularly on Time Change Sunday. Appreciate you getting up. I got up, it was extra early, obviously, this morning. I asked Jesus if, if, Jesus, if he was awake, and he said no. So uh, anyway, we're thrilled that you're here for Rethink Church. Thanks, uh, Kirsten, for uh, reading. And for those watching online, thank you for tuning. Got a lot of great questions, both here in Arlington and from online and, of course, from West Falls Church. You all saw it was Krispy Kreme out there. So the reason we did that is we asked last week for West Falls to send us over some donuts, and they didn't, which was very unchristlike of them. But, uh, so we thought, let's go out and get our own. So, so, so we did it. So we hope that you had a donut. We prayed the calories away from them, so there's no problem with that. But, uh, a lot of really great questions, everybody, uh, last week. A lot of wonderful questions, a, a, a lot. And so I'm not going to be able, obviously, to deal with them. So I'm going I'm to try to deal with um, a category of questions that came in. And um, I want to do that. And then I also want to focus on something that uh, I've spent a lot of time reading and listening to, what is called the new atheist, and it's a question that they are posing as well, and we'll bring them all together and try to focus on, you know, one thing today. If you're here today and you're an anti-church uh, person, uh, wherever you want to put yourself in that category, or you are an atheist, we're thrilled you're here. This service is not about trying to say, hey, uh, we want to show you um, how you're wrong or anything like that. I mean, if anything, what I said last week, we, we want all of us to just you know, think about this, particularly from the scripture that was read just a few moments ago, and just maybe say, hmm, that's interesting, hmm. So that's, that's what we're after. Could you, so we can just practice, we're all in sync together, it's, could say, hmm, 
Very good. That's, that's, all, that's all we're after. So I got this question. I got a number of questions. They're saying basically the same thing. With all the religions in the world, why is Christ the only way? I also got some questions that saying, um, this question I think came from Westfall Church saying, you know, do you have to be a church-going Christian to be a good person? You know, no. I mean, you might feel somebody saying that, but you won't get that from the scriptures. And I can tell you this right now, I know a lot of people that are better than me and they don't go to church. Uh, so I definitely would not subscribe to that. And I would also make a case that the deeper you understand Jesus Christ, the deeper you go, um, the more aware you are of your own faults. What the Apostle Paul in Scripture calls it is his own sin. So the version, a lot of times, and the questions that I'm getting, the idea, if I'm assuming what, is, you know, what everybody means by this, is that there's this condescending, better-than-you thing. If you kind of go real deep in Jesus and you're really committed to Jesus, you're de- and actually what the Bible points to is the opposite happens. I hope you're tracking with that. The opposite happens because then, like the Apostle Paul says, I'm the chiefest of all sinners. There's a deep humbling to really, 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 really understand Jesus Christ, the biblical version of Jesus Christ. It leads us to humble service. That's, the out, that's, how it, that, that's what it's all about. So a lot of the questions I've got is, well, you know, the arrogance, the arrogance, the arrogance. The Bible is like the humble service, the humble service, the humble service. So somewhere we've got our wires crossed. And from reading and listening to a lot of the, they're posing this question that I, very smart people, that deserve some type of thought or some type of response. And, and basically it's this, since, in their opinion, since religion is the greatest barrier to world peace, why don't we just get rid of God? Why don't we just get rid of God since, so, all right, that's, that's what we're after today. We're after this one idea. Everybody has a set of beliefs. Which set of beliefs leads us to the most loving and inclusive behavior? That's what we're after, okay? Not after right, wrong. We're not after making somebody feel bad. None of that. We're after one thing. Which set of beliefs, and is there any empirical evidence to it, that leads us to the most loving and inclusive behavior? All right, I'm going to do a quick rewind. I'm going to go all the way back to September 11th and move forward because... A lot of things that happen in the aftermath of September 11th plays a big role in this. So September 11th, huge surge in religion in America, particularly, right? Churches were full. People were coming to church. It happened for a number of weeks, packed houses. Like it was bigger than Easter, okay? Some of you remember that. Huge surge in religion. And lasted for two, three, I don't know, maybe four weeks tops. And then things kind of went back to normal. All right, just like there was this huge surge and the years following that, there was this massive anti-surge, like the wave, wave up, wave up. There was this massive. And so Sam Harris wrote a book called The End of Faith. And dozens of publishers turned him down, but eventually he got it print published, right? And it became a New York Times bestseller for many, 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 many weeks. And the idea behind it is if we can just get rid of faith and God and religion, world peace will and Sue. He wrote that in 2005. In 2008, Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, came out. Wildly successful. And in the opening pages of his book, The God Delusion, he talks, he talks about this. He, well, he begins by talking about uh, John Lennon's uh, song, Imagine. And he paints a picture. Let's just imagine if God didn't. Let's just imagine this. And he did a TV special. And in the marketing for the TV special, they had imagine a world without religions. And in the background, they had the Twin Towers still there. In other words, 
get rid of God, towers are still there. And like I said, he talked about, he talked about Lenin's song. Listen to the words, some of the words of the song. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Is that the case? I'm just asking you to consider, think through history. If we get rid of religion, does it lead us to loving behavior and inclusion of others? Wonderful sentiment about world peace. I'm just asking about, does it work? So Dawkins says in his book, God Delusion, if this book works as I intend, religious readers who open it will be atheists when they put it down. That was in 2008. In 2009, Christopher Hitchens came out with his book, which I talked a lot about last week, but it's uh, God is not great, how religion uh, poisons everything. So these guys, Hitchens, Harris, Dawkins, and a number of others became rock stars. I mean, they were on all late night talk shows. They were huge hits. They were on all the college campuses. Did all of that have an effect in the aftermath? That had a huge effect. And I'll tell you what surged. So there was a religious surge, short-lived, a massive anti-religious surge, and there was another surge that happened, a surge of nuns and nuns coming out of woodwork all over the place. Did you see the nuns? Nuns, N-O-N-E-S, nuns, right? I have no religious affiliation. There was this massive surge in people disconnecting from church because of all this that was going on particularly the crowd who was in college at the time. So if you're 35 or under, there was a massive move away. University of Virginia did a study, and they said, oh, my gosh. And Pew has report reported a lot on this. Oh, my gosh. People are just like, whoo, they are just exiting faith massively. When in actuality, if you look at it, they're not exiting faith. They're very, very spiritual, very spiritual. The vast, vast majority of 35 and unders pray a lot regularly. So they're not leaving faith. They're leaving the church, at least in America. And that was all a ramification of that. Now, here's what I would like to say to set this up. Everybody has a set of beliefs. You have a set of beliefs. Whether you want to admit to it or not, you have a set of beliefs. It could be a bunch of different things, right? Every, every, everybody has a set of beliefs. And those set of beliefs uh, create division. They, they just do, right? So truth by its very nature is narrow, right? The law of gravity, it is what it is. You don't have your law of gravity and I don't have my law of gravity. There's just a law of gravity, right? And if we try to defy it, there's going to be a problem. So uh, atheism, right? There's a, sub, a set of beliefs there. Even Richard Dawkins will tell you that he can't prove to you that God doesn't exist. Pluralism, the big five. When I say the big five, I'm talking about the big five world religions, that is. Or the I don't care. Some of us say, well, you know what? All of this mess is why I just don't care. Well, you're, you're hoping that I don't care is the best way to go, right? And you're hoping that everybody else will buy into your belief system of I don't care, right? So I'm just saying that there's always a set of beliefs. All sets are exclusive by nature because that's the way the truth works. I want to talk about pluralism for a second. And the reason I want to focus on pluralism is because that's, 
That's the thing. I mean, that's the biggest thing in vogue, particularly what happened in the aftermath, because not a huge amount of people turned to secular humanism or atheism. Most people, turn, particularly the 35 and undercrowd, turned to religious pluralism. And you can understand why if you'll look at the, what's going on in the world. It was all these problems in the world. Religion was at the source of it. Here in America, there was a lot of scandal in the church. Anytime that somebody who's a Christian, it seems like, it's not the case, but it seems like... Bad news sells, okay? So you would, see the, you would see the bad news. You wouldn't necessarily hear about the good stuff. And so people are filtering that, particularly the younger crowd. They're seeing what's happening on their college campuses, right? And now we have the internet in which you can begin to research all kinds of stuff, and you're looking at a full buffet of religious options. And so it's now, oh, I like this, and I like this, and I like this. It's understandable. It's completely understandable with what's happening in our world. So the question becomes this. Is religious pluralism, does that lead to the most inclusive and loving behavior? That's what we're after. Does it, does it lead to that? Now, it's a famous story told about the elephant. So you've got the big five religions, and it came out of India. Very, very popular. for t- Anybody heard the story of the elephant, the five blind guys? Okay, some of you have. All right. So I'll slow down and explain it better uh, for those of you who haven't heard it before. Very, 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 very popular, right? So you've got, you've got these blind guides. They represent uh, the major religions of the world. And they come across an elephant. The elephant represents God. And they're blind. And so one guy bumps in to the elephant and you got the, the trunk, right? And so, okay, God is flexible, long, and every now and there's like air coming out and going in and he's sucking things up or whatever. That's God. That's God, right? Another guy runs into the elephant's uh, leg. So God is sh- short and stubby and, right, very. Another guy runs into the side of the elephant. Oh, God is like a big wall. Boom. Another guy, the tail. Okay, you get the picture? Okay. Everybody, who's to say? Listen, this emotionally, this sounds wonderfully inclusive. It sounds warm and fuzzy. And as Americans, we love that. We love the word inclusion. Oh, yes, please. Say it more, John. (laughs) It sounds sounds so wonderful, you know? And to say that, you know, who's to say? So for Christians, we really, if you're a follower of Christ today, you really hear a lot about this. Oh, man, who are you to say that you got the one way? You know, you got one and a half billion Muslims and, you know, however many are Hindu and Buddhist. Who, I mean, everybody, who are you to say? You saying they didn't? Okay, so, right? So we come along as a religious pluralist and we say everybody has a piece. My, I've talked about this before. My, my, my seminary professor, oh, man, he evangelized us hard on religious pluralism. Don't you dare come into my classroom and say that Jesus Christ is the only way. Always are valid paths. Now, when one person on the elephant over here, right, you got the five guys on the elephant, they're all saying, I got, the, I got the right way, and we say, oh, that's terrible, because that's so arrogant, it's so exclusive, right? It's terrible that you say that. Now, some of you, the light bulb is starting to go off right now, and you're thinking, oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. The one person who's the most warm, loving, inclusive person has a problem, don't they? You got the elephant, you got the five guys over here. They're all blind, except for the one person who's enlightened. The one loving, humble person who would never say they have exclusive truth is the singular person in the story is enlightened. Who is it? No. <laughs> Although if the elephant's God, that works. 
All right, you got the, the, the five guys here with the elephant. And the one religious pluralist over here is the lone, enlightened person in the story who alone, they're all blind, yet I can see. I can see. Here, you can try to say, oh, no, you know, it, religious, that religious pluralism, that's the way to go because it's so loving, so it's not, it's not arrogant. Every set of beliefs will rise to the top. Try it. It will. My professor was so, ah, so front, like, how dare you say that, how dare you say Jesus is the way? And what was he doing? He was saying, how, he was, you better believe my way because my way is the best way, religious pluralist. Now, it's frustrating. The question is, what set of beliefs, everybody has a set of beliefs, leads, all right, so the Greco-Roman culture was relig religiously plural, wasn't it? All gods. We respect everybody as a God, we have a God, a God. Now, did that result in inclusive loving behavior? I don't think the people they were throwing to the lions felt that way. <laughs> or Aristotle, who said there's some people just born to be slaves. That didn't seem loving and inclusive. They also didn't mix the races and they didn't mix rich and poor. And what's interesting about that is that the Christian community did that. And they did that in a, in, in, in a big way. So even though the Christian community is coming along with Jesus Christ is Lord, right? He's, he's Lord of all. And you would think that it would be very exclusive. It had, a, it had an opposite effect. And the question is why? There are certain things in the world that maybe um, I just, I want to be true because I want them to be true. I think that Thomas Nagel, who is an atheist, really says this well, actually. He says, I want atheism to be true and am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. All of us are that way. I'm that way. There are certain things that i just comfortable with. Because for me to believe certain things, right, to me to be, to be challenged on my beliefs, which I'm always going to be getting off base, I just always am, I'm going to have to adjust. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to change. So I have to ask myself, do I, do, am I saying that certain things aren't true because I just really want them to be that way so that I don't have to make any adjustment or change? So, you know, Bill Maher. Of course, I've listened to a lot of Bill Maher recently because this, and if you've ever listened to him, you'll see that the one thing he brings up all the time is the silly talking snake. Has anybody heard him talk about the silly talking snake, right? Some of you have. Okay. A lot of times, oh my gosh, silly talking snake. You know, if, you're, if you believe the Bible, you're so stupid because you believe in the silly talking snake. Now, I'm not an expert in ancient Hebrew, uh, but I do know, I do know this much is that when those words were written about that silly talking snake, that that was the most anti-God symbol that anybody could have imagined when those words were written. Anybody could have imagined, the most anti-God. And so here's what the anti-God is saying in Genesis chapter 3. Anti-God says that always put yourself, so anti-God says this to Adam and Eve, put yourself first. Put yourself first. Make the whole world adjust to you. You, it's all about you. Put yourself first. Everything adjusts to you. God over here, on the other hand, is saying, put others first, put God first, put others first, put yourself last, and adjust to everybody else. Now, I have a question for you. 
What if our world functioned with putting other people first and you adjusting to other people? Right? What if politics, what if our workplace, what if countries, what if they all functioned that way? Right? What if marriages functioned this way? I'm going to always put you first. I'm going to always adjust to you. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Relationships by their very nature demand adjustment or they don't work. They break down. And what if the whole world said, you first, I'll adjust to you, God? And what if the world is functioning off the anti-God saying, me first, you adjust to me? I think world peace would be possible. And so when I say it's a silly snake, when I say it's that, I'm just, I'm exempt. I don't have to deal with what the really is being tried. You know what I'm saying? I have to deal with real, what's really being said in that story. I can escape it by saying, ah, so I don't have to change. And I don't want to change. I don't like to change. I've told this story many times, but it's, it just works so well right here. So when I was about seven years old, uh, I would go to the grocery store with my mom. Only time in my life I went to the grocery store. And this probably ended my going to the grocery store days. And until that point in my life, for seven long years of my life, I would walk to the grocery store and they had this big Brock's candy display. Anybody remember? Anybody old enough remember? This huge things of open bowls of candy. And man, I would just go and I'd feast. And then mom would take, and I'd run back and I'd feast some more and feast some more. I did that for years. I mean, years. I'm seven years old. Did it for years. And one day my mom said, you know, that candy's not free. I said, what? <laughs> and in my seven-year-old mind, it's just like, mm, and I said, what does mom know about? Does she work for the grocery store? She had no jack. Does she work for Brock's? Is she a candy dealer? She doesn't know anything. I just found this out. I've been operating on this assumption, and for me to believe that truth means I'm going to have to totally adjust my life. So I just worked really hard in my mind to figure out a way to say it can't be true. And what I wanted to do is just deny something that I was seeing because I wanted to be comfortable. I didn't want to make any adjustments in my life. Now, truth by its very nature means that we have to adjust to something. I had to adjust to something. All right. Um, it is very, very true, everybody, that the Christian church has done, a, has done damage. We talked about that last week. It's just done damage. It's hurt people. Somebody handed me an article just this morning from the Washington Post about a church that's trying to heal the wounds that people have experienced from the Christian church, okay? So just in the post yesterday. So it's done, done a lot. And there's, there's a difference. It's the institutional Jesus, and it's the movement Jesus. And I want to show you a couple things here. An institution, everybody, is held together by its rules. A movement is held together by a vision, an institution, it's about culture of rights. I have my rights. A movement is about a culture of sacrifice. Institution values security. Movement values risk. Institution is stable and it's slow to change. Movement is dynamic. It's very, very quick to change. So just so we can remember this, because this is so important, and here's the entire difference in, in, in my opinion, right? comes down to this simple thing between institution and movement. Hurt and pain healing and inclusion. So I want to seal it in your brain. So I want you to work with me on something. I try to demonstrate something. All right. Listen very closely. All right. I'm going to give you instruction. Do not let this hit the ground. Don't let it hit the ground. Whatever you do, do not let it hit the ground. Okay. Don't let it hit the ground. Oh boy. Oh boy. We'll give you another chance. I'll give you another chance because you did much worse than the first service. Oh, 
together. Okay. That did not work out well. Uh, so, no, 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 we're not going to do that again. Is, I know it's fun. I know it's exciting. It's the most exciting moment in the church service. So, uh, I cast a compelling vision. And the compelling vision was don't let it hit the ground, right? I didn't give you any rules. There was dynamic movement. There was sacrifice. Some of you actually got out of your seats. Not enough of you sacrificed, which is why it's on the ground. <laughs> it's, not, it's not on the ground. But there's movement. It's dynamic. It's quick to change. Here's a compelling vision. If it's institutional, it's static. It doesn't move. It's about rights. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to displace myself. You know, we kind of have a young church. Our, our largest age category here is 25 to 34-year-olds. So we would say, oh, man, we're in movement. We're dynamic, you know. Chris and I invited a friend to visit church, never been to church before in their life. And they uh, came here a couple years ago and they sat in a seat. I won't point where they were sitting, but they sat in a seat. And a young person, young person, came up to them and said, wouldn't you like to move? You're sitting in my seat. Now, movements are great until I have to adjust my seat. You know what I'm saying? Uh, what... What Jesus offers us is a movement, not an institution. We've dumbed it down to an institution, and when we dumb it down to an institution, it causes havoc in the world. When we stay as a movement, which is a culture, not of rights, but of sacrifice and adjustment, it's very, very, very healing in the world. So I want to go through something in Acts 8 because it's a very important passage that we have before us, right? Church, the word church means called out ones, movement by nature, the what is the church? So if we're a church here this morning, I think we are, then we're a community that is on the move. So God is saying, I need you to move. And all the things I just read before you, that's what we're supposed to be all about. It's not about our, not about our rights. It's about us adjusting to bring to the world Jesus Christ. Jesus says, go. Jesus says, follow me. So in Acts chapter 8, what you see here. And this story is this Ethiopian eunuch has come about a thousand miles on a long journey to find God. And he goes all the way to Jerusalem to the temple. And when he gets there, because he's of the wrong race and because he's a eunuch, which means he's been sexually altered, they say, you can't come in. And so God gives us this story of the first Gentile convert who receives Christ as Savior and is baptized of somebody who's racially different and sexually altered. And that's the first story that God gives us in the book of Acts. Isn't that amazing? So he leaves after a long journey. He's disappointed. You know, one of the things, everybody, is the atheists are hoping that religion weakens in the world. And the reality is, according to numbers, is it's not. It's not weakening. Even in this country, 35 and unders who say, I'm a nun, I've become a nun, are praying. The vast majority are praying every day. So very, very spiritual. Sure, might be leaving church, but we're not leaving the desire, as Ecclesiastes says, because God has put the eternity in our hearts. Bertrand Russell, very famous atheist. After he has died, his daughter said he was searching in his entire life for God. Wow, are you serious? He's an atheist. He was spent his entire life searching for God. Because it's March Madness, and this is my favorite time of year, I'm paying homage to college basketball by reading Phil Knight's story, Shoe Dog, right? Any Nike fans? Nike fans, just do it. Okay, so I'm reading it. And in the opening pages, before he starts Nike, he's going to make a trek around the world. And you know why he said he did it? He was in search of God's presence. 
He was in search of God's presence. We can't get away from it. And so this Ethiopian eunuch is searching for God. He's trying to connect with God because we have this thirst in us to be satisfied by God and God alone. Riches and fame and fortune don't satisfy. It takes God and God alone. So he goes. He's very rich. He's the secretary treasurer of his country. And he leaves that post, putting his job maybe in jeopardy. And he goes all the way to Jerusalem, only to have the door shut in his face. And now he's disappointed. He's on his way back. He's on a road. He's all by himself. God sends Philip. He leaves, Philip, I want you to leave all the people that you're ministering to right now. I want you to go to this lonely road. You'll see this chariot. Okay, go, now go stay near that chariot. Now, you're talking about a movement. Do you think God's trying to get a picture? Here's the picture of the Christian church. Chariot's going down the road, and what's Philip doing? Hey, how you doing? You understand what you're reading? It, you can't get more movement than that. He's right. I want you to stay with it. Why stay with it? Because the chariot's moving. And eventually the guy says, I have no idea what I'm reading. You want to come up here and tell me about it? No, those cultures would not mix. Those two wouldn't eat together, hang out together. No, they are separated. And what the Spirit is doing is pushing Philip to break the cultural divide. And that's exactly the same thing the Spirit's doing in our world today. I can guarantee it. It's what the Spirit does all the time. Push, push, push to build a bridge and to break the cultural divide. I would never mix. I would never mix. Wrong race, wrong habits. Racially different, sexually altered. First example we have is somebody receiving Christ as Savior and being, being baptized. Now, here's the passage he was reading. It's from the book of Isaiah. It's all about Jesus Christ. And you know what's amazing is in this passage, you know what's brought up constantly? Eunuchs. The Ethiopian is a eunuch. And all of a sudden, in the scripture in Isaiah, it's talking about a eunuch. So he's reading this passage. And here's what he reads. Let no foreigner, he's a foreigner, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me. Philip says, you're not excluded. They might have closed the door for you. This culture, this culture might have closed the door for you, but there is one who is above all cultures, and he welcomes you in. The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, to them I will give within my temple. Temple? Presence. That's the presence of God. I will welcome you into my temple and its walls and a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. This guy and a culture that valued family above everything else gave up his sons and daughters in order to seek riches, to be the CFO of his country. And now he's on search for something. And God says, I'll do something even greater. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. These I will bring. I will bring. He's trying to bring himself into God's presence. Every religion is the same. We're trying to crawl our way up to God. And where Christianity, every, everybody is different, is God is coming down to us. I will bring, you won't bring yourself, I will bring you to my holy mountain and I'll give them joy in my house of prayer. For my house will be called a house of prayer for who? For all nations. And what Philip explains, the Ethiopian eunuch, is that Jesus Christ gave up all of his rights in heaven and adjusted his life to come down here for you. Religion is me reaching up to God. Christianity is God reaching down to me. They're in opposite directions. And it's not a list of things that I do to climb up so that when I climb up, I feel so much better than you because I did it. 
In Christianity, Jesus Christ has done it, and I am responding to his love. Out of his great love, Jesus Christ gives up all of his rights. And he's hanging on a cross saying, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's praying and forgiving his enemies. Unthinkable. And when we let that sink in, how in the world could we respond in any other way if we truly understand the Jesus of the Bible but in humble service to other people? And so, the Ethiopian eunuch says, Amen. I want the t-shirt. I'm diving in the water. You know, when you get baptized, it's basically saying that you are taking on a new set of beliefs. This set of beliefs here leads to the most inclusive, inclusive and loving behavior that the world has ever seen. Now, that's empirically true. That's not an opinion. You look at a world map and you tell me where Christianity is. It's in every culture. Oh, Christianity is white western. Well, you got a problem because most Christians are in Africa. And secondly, they're in Central and South America and they're in China. And what you find is, and all the experts will tell you the same thing, Christianity is the least regionalized movement on the face of the earth. It's in every culture. So empirically speaking, empirically speaking, factually speaking, Christianity extends through all... Religion is an expression of culture. Religion is an expression of culture. And here you have Christianity. Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, who doesn't go and oppose his culture, the culture of Christianity. Actually, what it does, it recreates itself in the culture that it is in. And the Holy Spirit is causing all that to happen. So at some point, we have to just say, what does the empirical evidence show me? Which set of belief leads to the most inclusive and loving behavior that is on the planet and why? All right. There is, you know, bad news sells. I said that a few moments ago. And of course, there is a lot of bad news and Christians have done things that are very painful. And what, what I want to suggest to you, it's when the church becomes an institution. When the church becomes a movement, I want you to think about what that takes to be inclusive and loving. It involves giving up rights like Jesus did. It involves sacrifice. And by human nature, we don't like to do that. So now what I want to explain, just by a few stories in conclusion here, why it is, why is it that then Christianity results in the most loving and inclusive behavior to really understand Jesus Christ and how that functions in the world? We look at people in the world, right? I know some of us do this, and we say, they're a Christian. I don't like the way they are. I just want to make sure that I kind of go surface level with Jesus because if I go really deep, then I'm really strange like that person over there. I want to flip that. I want to suggest to you they really don't understand Jesus Christ, and I think I, think I could prove it, okay? I want, I, want to, I want to say to you that the Jesus we see in the Bible is the movement Jesus that results in wonderful things happening in our world. Okay, Jeremiah 29. This is a famous verse. Many people are aware of it. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you to give you a future and a hope. Do you understand the context? For those of you who've heard that verse before, the context of when those verses were said. So what had happened is the Babylonians, modern-day Iraq, Babylonians, the power that be, came into Israel 
and like destroyed and demolished the country. They went into Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. They destroyed their religion and they took a bunch of the best and the brightest and they take them back to Babylon and they make them live there, right? And you know what they did? Israel struggled with two extremes for their whole life, either isolation or compromise. Isolation. So when they get there, they stay on the outside of the city. And God says in Jeremiah 29, your false prophets are telling you to stay outside the city. They're like, we're not going in that city. We go in that city, right? And our kids can't pray in school in that city. We can't do it because there's idols everywhere. And we're not allowed to take those idols. We can't say Merry Christmas to anybody inside that city. We can't hand the Ten Commandments on the courthouse wall. We can't do that. There's no way I'm going into that godless city. And God says, no, 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 you go in. You go, move, move, go in. Now, Why? Why go in? Well, I would think we'd go in to condemn it. That'd be my natural thought, right? <laughs> you immoral people, wicked, godless, we're here to condemn you. And God says in Jeremiah 29, I want you to go into the city. I want you to love the city. I want you to seek the prosperity of the city. I want you to pray for the city. And those that are your enemies who have destroyed everything that you've known, who you've had to sacrifice so much for, I want you to love them and pray for them and seek their best. I want you to serve, serve this city. What? Yes. Everybody, that's Jesus. That's the message of the Bible. Genesis to Revelation, it's the message of the Bible. A correct understanding of Jesus Christ. If you really understand Jesus, it is through humble service. I want to try to explain this in four different stories to end this out. Francis Collins, I think I mentioned him a few moments ago. Um, so Francis Collins is the head of NIH, right? He's the director of NIH, a scientist, very smart guy. And when uh, he was up to be the director of it, um, many people, man, he took heat big time. People said, I don't want a clown in charge of American science, right? I don't want an idiot in charge being represented American science, people at huge... Uh, Bill Maher had Richard Dawkins on his program. Bill Maher says, you know, Collins, who is a Christian and believes in the Bible. Uh, so Maher says, you know, he believes in the talking snake. And uh, Dawkins says, yeah, he's not a very bright guy. Right? So, and he is an extremely, extremely bright guy. Some people said that Collins was suffering from dementia. There's no way he should have this post. So he took tremendous heat. So, you know, Collins writes this book, The Language of God, and Collins begins to have these debates with many of the new atheists, Dawkins and Hitchens and Harris, and on and on it goes. And he takes a lot, you know, he takes a lot of heat for that. Christopher Hitchens, as many of you know, died. He had cancer of the esophagus. And he chronicled for about a year and a half his life with cancer as he's dying for a year and a half. And uh, he put it out there that a number of Christians would, like, write in. He would get this, you know, mail from them and say, you know what? This is so awesome. God has struck you uh, in the one area of your body that you have chosen to blaspheme God, and now you're going to burn in hell. And he got a lot, a lot of mail like that. What um, Francis Collins did, who had been, I mean, these guys were kind of his enemies, right? He'd been hurt and demeaned in a very public way. Uh, reached out to Christopher Hitchens, and he said, as director of NIH, 
which nobody ever wanted him to have, at least that group of people didn't want him to have. He said, I'm aware of all kinds of cutting edge technology and new advancement, and could I come and meet with you and, and talk to you about some options that you probably aren't aware of, but I am as the director of NIH. And he spent months, hours with his family, patiently going over all kinds of treatments. So um, Hitchens is chronicling all this in Vanity Fair. Right? You know, his last days. And he saves one of his final tributes before he dies to Francis Collins. And he says, Francis Collins is a great American. He's a great American. And he is our most selfless Christian physician. Vanity Fair. Tribute to him. The Bible says that we should make sure that nobody misses the grace of God. That's this is true Jesus Christianity here, okay? Sundance Film Festival. Anybody heard of Sundance Film Festival before? Okay, a lot of independent films. So one year, a guy put together a film, did it, and so his big show, sold out crowd, sold out crowd. And it was all about this white bread, evangelical Christian Southern Baptist family in this movie that was headed to church. And on the way to church, they're in a car. They die in a car accident. And they all, they all go up to heaven, and they're greeted by a tattooed Jesus. And uh, he looks at them and immediately sends them back to earth. But he sends them back with any, without any original sin. So they come back and they walk around naked, right? And they do all kinds of crazy things because they don't have, you know, and they shock all of their evangelical Christian friends who knew them before and they can't believe this, but they're going out doing all this. And so finally, all their Christian friends get together and say, let's invite them over to a Bible study in potluck. And at the Bible study in potluck, they feed that family, uh, you know, husband, wife, and two kids. They feed husband, wife, and two kids apple pie laced with poison to kill them. The crowd's going nuts, man. Ah, outstanding ovation. Everybody loves it. So after it's over, the guy who did the movie stands up. He's doing a Q&A. And one person stands up and says, have you shown this to any conservative Christians? He says, I haven't yet, but I'm ready for that fight. I'm ready. Oh, man, I'm ready for that fight. Well, there was a guy there who was an evangelical Christian. He was actually a professor of a, of a, a film class at a Bible college. He had his whole class there. They're experiencing all this. And so he stands up and he says, hey, I'm an evangelical Christian. Immediate tension in the room. <laughs> Everybody's like, what? And they're ready for what he's going to say next, right? Because the fight is coming. And he says, I just want to ask your forgiveness um, and apologize for, you know, whatever you've experienced or anybody else in this room has experienced uh, that has caused you pain in the name of God. And I hope that you'll please forgive us. The guy on the platform went totally silent. He's like, uh, okay. When it was over, everybody flocked to this professor and his whole class. There was hugging. There was kissing. People said, I didn't understand. If that's, if that's Jesus, I, I'm, I'm going back to church. The cast that was in the movie, um, they all showed up the next day to a church to talk to the class that was there. They just had a wonderful time together. Anybody know Norma McCorvey? Anybody recognize that? She just died last month. Jane Rowe. So, very sad life, everybody. And then what compounded on all that sadness for, for her life, you know, is the Christian community. Um, there's, a, there's a guy, he's in charge of Operation Rescue down in uh, Texas. You know, he very publicly called her a baby killer. And there's a lot of, lot of, lot of pain that went on with this whole thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> of all things. What a coincidence. She's working in an office that's right next to Operation Rescue. It's almost like the Holy Spirit was trying to bring people together. And on her smoke breaks, when she was out smoking, this guy who's president of Operation Rescue started to see her. Of course, he knew who she was. She knew who he was back and forth. And uh, one day he, um, he went to her and he says, Hey, I just want to say I'm sorry for some of the things that I've said about you. Uh, I want to say sorry for calling you a baby killer. And I just want to ask your forgiveness. And over a period of time, they became friends. And what you know, uh, she became a Christian and she was baptized and became very active in a movement that we call the church. Wouldn't you like to be a part of a movement like that? I want to add one, la one last thing, everybody. Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, so widely respected by all religions and no... Re what are you going to say to Mother Teresa? Mother Teresa went to get on a flight one time. It was a Pan Am flight. And the captain comes across and says, Ladies and gentlemen, Mother Teresa is on board. The co-pilot takes off his hat and walks down the aisle collecting money for her mission. She met with Ronald Reagan one time and they said, um, uh, President Reagan, what did you say to her? He says, I didn't say anything. I just sat and listened. Broad respect. But you need to know that what she calls Inspiration Day, when the Spirit spoke to her and says, I want you to go into this area, into this city that's filled with idols and filled with all kinds of religion and all kinds of... I want you to go in the middle of it and I just want you to start serving. I just want you to start loving. I want you to start helping. That people didn't like it. Hospitals didn't like it. They didn't like what she was doing. It's very controversial. Matter of fact, a bunch of young Hindus showed up one day with rocks in their hands and said, we are driving you out. We are driving you out. And they were prepared to physically do it. And she walks out of the house and meets them. And she invites the leader to come into the house. He comes back out a few minutes later, and the whole crowd says, okay, can we now do this? He says, absolutely, drive her out. The moment that your mothers and sisters are willing to love the people in this house the way she's loving them, please drive her out. And everybody disbanded. I want to ask you, don't you want to be a part of a movement like that? That's the Jesus movement. And that's what the Ethiopian eunuch recognized. And I ask you here today, just simply say, you know what? If you want to be a part of this, say, Jesus, I want to join that movement. I want to be baptized. I want to get that T-shirt like the Ethiopian eunuch. I want to be a part of a loving, inclusive movement through Jesus Christ in the world. Tom and I want to talk to you quickly about something that we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna end. So, Tom, here he comes. Everybody say hi, Tom. Yeah, there he is. Hey, look, I'll say this before Tom starts, and you're going to see something pretty cool on the screen behind us because this is all about, all about a movie. You know, a lot of people say to me all the time, actually all the time, hey, man, when are you going to get your own building? Hey, when can you be a real church and stop moving so you can start moving? You know what I'm saying? It takes a lot to be a part of a movement. We, we want to invite you to be a part of this movement. And that means all of us get together and we serve it for a greater cause that leads to inclusion and love. And so, Tom, let's talk about that real quick. Yes, we would love for you to be a part of this movement here at Grace. Uh, as you can see from this time lapses, uh, it doesn't just happen on Sunday mornings. This isn't a church during the week. This is a school, and we transform it into a church to really allow the movement of grace. Um, there's a, there's a behind-the-scenes role there. There's a behind-the-scenes enabling of grace to move. 
And that can be extraordinarily rewarding. Um, you know, it's one thing if you're on the parking team and you smile somebody at the parking lot. That smile can, can really affect their life, but it might affect their life in 10 years. Um, what about a, a tangible change? What if I hang up a sign in the lobby that says where the auditorium is? Then I get to see that new person come to grace, see that sign, and enter the auditorium. I feel like I know that I've done something to enable grace. So that's something that is interesting to you. If being behind the scenes but really supporting the movement of the church is interesting to you, we would love to get connected with you. There's a Get Connected flyer in your bulletin. If you're interested at all, uh, please fill this out. I'll be at a table in the lobby right after the service. I uh, would love to talk to you and love to get you connected behind the scenes where you can really support uh, the mission of grace. Thank you. Thank you, Tom, very much. All right. 60, 60 seconds. Here's the thing. Um, movements don't happen without sacrifice, without adjusting. You know, it's much easier to not do anything, but nothing great happens unless we're willing to give up and do. And so we want to invite you. We can't do this without you, actually. We can't do this without you. We can't build a great movement that really presents Jesus in the way the Bible presents Jesus without you. And we want to encourage you to be a part of that. And I want to encourage those of you, because I, I really feel like for some of us here right now, God's speaking to your heart. You've never crossed that line. You've never done what the Ethiopian eunuch did. And you want to do it. And I want to encourage you to do it. And we'll pray now. And as I do, I just want to invite you in your own heart. Say, you know what? I want in. Like that Ethiopian eunuch, I want in. I want to be a part of that movement. I want to be baptized. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this phenomenal story. Lord, help us to be a part of the movement. This wonderful movement. For those right now who are just saying, yes, something stirs greatly in my soul as I hear about this. God, we want to celebrate their crossing of the line into this movement that Jesus Christ has created in this world. And Lord, may you cause it to expand greatly because we need it. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.